1983 and you've decided to give one of these new aerobics fitness classes a try. They seem to be popping up everywhere and it feels like the place to be and be seen. But you want to look the part and that means neon. You hope you haven't overdone it, but when you get to the class, you have nothing to worry about as there's enough neon to make your eyes burn. But what exactly are you getting yourself into? Structured exercises always seem like something for elite athletes and competitive bodybuilders. It seems like health and fitness is everywhere. What is this fad that's been sweeping the nation? I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. And today, we look back on the explosion of health and fitness that went from something niche to the mainstream. This is a story of the 1980s fitness boom. Structured exercise and training have been around for millennia. The ancient Egyptians took part in acrobatics and various forms of fitness training. The ancient Greeks had structured training for athletes, and as far back as 1569, an Italian book was published that described the use of medicine balls, dumbbells, bodyweight movement, and other physical training movements like gymnastics. Private gymnastics clubs may even go all the way back to the late 18th century. The Boston YMCA goes back to 1850, and most other major cities began to open their own athletic clubs. Some of the first suburban fitness clubs opened in the late 1940s, and the famous Gold's Gym goes back to 1965. Fitness and health clubs have always been around, but they weren't necessarily mainstream. In 1968, Dr. Kenneth Cooper published a book simply titled Aerobics. This book explained that regular aerobic exercise helped prevent disease and led to a healthier life. This slowly led to group aerobic classes, and the work of Cooper became the official exercise program for the United States Air Force, the Navy, and the Royal Canadian Air Force. But these are specialized individuals training at a high level. What about the average person who didn't necessarily want intense boot camp style workouts? How could aerobic exercise be made more accessible to the average person and even, dare you say it, fun? One of the first to take a new approach to aerobic training was Jackie Sorensen. Sorensen created an aerobic dancing class for fellow Air Force base wives. This aerobic dancing was quite a great workout, as was another dance-based workout. Going into the 1970s, a Northwestern grad named Judy Shepard Missett created Jazzercise, the workouts may seem humorous to us now, but the workouts, most importantly, were effective, and the programs were quite popular. As we enter the 1980s, aerobics and fitness are growing pretty quickly. But the real explosion of the entire industry in the 80s 
can probably be traced back to two things, celebrities and technology. And we start with celebrity. Does the fitness boom of the 80s, specifically aerobics, have a definitive kickoff point? Well, if it does, it's probably in Beverly Hills in 1979. And it involves a famous fitness instructor and a small studio. That instructor was a former Academy Award winner named Jane Fonda. Fonda wanted to look beyond just cardio and jogging to get fit and healthy. And jogging by yourself wasn't always motivating and could feel lonely. Fonda preferred a small group dynamic as it was more inspiring and motivating. This led to the opening of a fitness studio. Her routines involved stretching and movement based on stepping and reaching. As good as some of those earlier aerobics workouts were, some could be quite choreographed. Jazzercise, for example, wasn't all about dance, but still had that element to it. And what if you wanted something more high impact and intense? This was the appeal of the Jane Fonda workout. The studio and workout quickly became incredibly popular. And like a lot of fads, what started in California quickly spread around the country. The workout, which would come to be referred to as the Jane, was about to grow even bigger. Jane Fonda's unique type of exercise was so popular, it eventually led to a book, The Jane Fonda Workout. This book was such a hit that the New York Times bestsellers list had to start a new category for self-help. The success of the book would lead to something even bigger that really helped propel the fitness boom, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But Jane Fonda wasn't the only notable celebrity pushing a new era of fitness. Another fitness instructor was quickly making a name for themselves and would also be based in Beverly Hills. After growing up in the French Quarter in New Orleans, Milton Teagle Simmons found himself quite overweight after graduating high school. In the 70s, he eventually relocated to Los Angeles and wanted to open an exercise studio that wasn't for people already in shape. He wanted to cater to those of all shapes and sizes, and Richard Simmons, as we would come to know him, opened a Beverly Hills studio called Slimmons. Simmons had come up with something unique. He took old 45 records featuring oldies music and just started dancing and moving to them. Dancing to this oldies music quickly helped Simmons get in shape. It was fun, got your heart rate up, and you could go at your own pace. Richard Simmons' infectious personality, energy, and encouragement made his specific brand of fitness called Sweatin' to the Oldies a massive hit. The popularity exploded beyond his own studio and took him to malls where thousands of people would come out. The unique workout and unique instructor created a lot of media attention, with Simmons soon appearing on many TV shows, including Hollywood Squares, Win, Lose, or Draw, even a role on General Hospital. Simmons was like your own personal motivational coach, and he resonated with millions on what felt like a personal level. This led to his own TV shows, including the very popular Richard Simmons Show. 
both Jane Fonda and Richard Simmons were quickly transforming not only the fitness landscape, but a lot of pop culture. But they couldn't be everywhere at once. And this is where technology comes into the fitness boom of the 80s. Specifically, three things. When it comes to pop culture, there may not have been a more innovative invention than the VCR. For the first time, we could now record and watch back anything we recorded off TV. Before the VCR, programming was a one-shot deal. And if you missed something live, you missed it. The first VCRs came out in the 1970s, but were incredibly expensive. But like all technology, prices soon came down. And this was a good thing for the fitness industry, specifically for Jane Fonda. Because of the immense success of the Jane Fonda workout book, she was approached by a producer about creating a VHS version of her workout books. This would be perfect to take advantage of the growing popularity of home video. There had been other fitness VHS tapes, but when the Jane Fonda workout was released in 1982, it caught on like wildfire. Her book had been on the New York Times bestseller list for an astonishing two years, and the tapes took fitness to the next level. According to Vogue, the tape sold an extraordinary 17 million copies worldwide. The workouts were quite simple but effective, and the structure of the class, a warm-up, workout, ab work, and a cool-down are still followed in classes to this day. Even fitness vernacular like Feel the Burn and No Pain No Gain can be traced back to Jane Fonda. The Jane Fonda workout is still one of the best-selling VHS tapes of all time. Not just for fitness, but for everything. According to IMDb, the 17 million copies puts it in the top 10 highest-selling VHS tapes ever, tied with Cinderella and Pocahontas. The Jane Fonda workout tapes sold more copies than E.T., Toy Story 2, and Forrest Gump. Over the course of the 80s, Jane Fonda released another 10 videos, including Jane Fonda's new workout, Jane Fonda's workout with weights, and Jane Fonda's workout challenge. The fact you could buy these workout videos led by Fonda herself and do the workouts in your own home was another revelation. If you didn't live near any aerobic studios, if you didn't want a group setting and wanted to exercise on your own time, the videos and the VCR itself made it all possible. Not only were aerobics catching on like wildfire, but the rise of the VCR made these workouts much more accessible. Richard Simmons also released his own Sweat Into the Oldies tapes, which were also a massive hit. The tapes resonated with a wider audience as the people following his workouts in the video were regular people who didn't look like fitness models. The success of the tapes took Simmons on a publicity tour where so many people showed up that he would be signing autographs for over three hours at a time. All of this, the celebrity aspect, 
the VCR, and the abundance of VHS fitness and aerobics tapes led to a fitness boom that had never been seen before. But things would only continue to grow. Another technological variable for the 1980s fitness craze comes in the growth of cable TV. In the early 80s, the fitness movement was everywhere, including one of the most famous songs in MTV videos of the decade, Physical by Olivia Newton-John. The song, originally offered to Rod Stewart and then Tina Turner, wasn't exactly about working out in a gym, but the video looked straight out of an aerobics class. This was the early days of MTV, and the physical video played its own role in driving the fitness boom of the 80s. Thanks to cable TV, MTV began to spread far and wide. Aerobics classes were springing up everywhere, and now we were seeing it on our own TVs in one of the most popular videos of the time. The success of the Jane Fonda workout tapes and other best-selling aerobics videos had TV stations rushing to create their own workout shows that now, thanks to cable TV, could be beamed across the country. If you're Canadian, you may remember one of the most successful of those aerobic shows. This is the 20-minute workout, the exercise show that benefits the most important muscle in your body, your heart. Scientifically developed, the 20-minute workout offers the maximum aerobic benefit in the minimum amount of time. Begin slowly, working at your own pace, and watch... Shot in Toronto on a pure white background, the 20-minute workout debuted in June 1983 on City TV and was then syndicated all over the United States. Speaking of Canadian TV, later in the 80s, short 90-second episodes started appearing on our screens. The brief segments featured two extremely positive, high-level athletes who wanted to encourage Canadians to get fit. These spots were funded by Participation, a government program to promote fitness and healthy living. And if you're a Canadian of a certain age, all I need to say is remember to keep fit and have fun. Body Break starring Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod not only encouraged us to stay active, but they both became a big part of Canadian pop culture. And when it comes to fitness and TV in the 80s, something interesting also took place. Before 1984, there were regulations on who could buy paid airtime on TV. This regulation was lifted by the Cable Communications Policy Act of 1984. Now, paid promotional advertising, or infomercials if you will, flooded the thousands of cable channels. This was a huge opening for the fitness industry and especially for people like Jerry Lee Wilson, who invented an exercise machine that used thick rubber bands for resistance instead of free weights. As a machine, the human body remains a supreme invention. To unlock its potential, we offer Soloflex, simple and efficient like the body itself, which may explain why Soloflex looks less like a machine more like a work of art. Infomercials for the Soloflex were the perfect way to showcase this unique and safer workout exercise machine. Because of the lifting of advertising restrictions, entrepreneurs like Wilson could purchase hour-long time blocks and lots of them. 
If you watch TV in the 80s, it was kind of tough not to be aware of the solo flex. According to a 2020 Mental Floss article, these infomercials were so widely viewed, it's estimated that one in seven U.S. households ordered the brochure from the commercial. Fitness infomercials were everywhere, and it led to a spike in home equipment. Bodybuilding and elite fitness may have been too extreme for the average person. Not everyone wanted to go to an aerobics class or a health club or a gym or even follow along with workout tapes. What about just staying fit and healthy in the comfort of your own home with your own equipment? The fitness boom of the 80s continued into the home with other pieces of equipment like the Nordic track, which mimicked the action of cross-country skiing. Exercise, it's the key to fitness and good health. Today, more and more people are looking better, feeling better than ever before. But to get in shape and stay in shape, more and more experts are recommending a total body, non-impact aerobic workout. The kind you can get with Nordic Track. Nordic Track simulates cross-country skiing, the ideal aerobic exercise. The 1980s also saw the release of one of the most well-known pieces of cardio equipment of all time. In 1983, a new company called TriTech released a unique machine called the Ergometer 6000, which you would eventually know by the new name it was given, the Stairmaster. Whether it was a unique machine like the Nordic Track or just a few pairs of dumbbells, home fitness equipment was also becoming a big industry. According to the New York Times, by the end of the 80s, Home fitness equipment sales hit $1.73 billion, triple what it was at the start of the decade. Adjusted for inflation, that's more like $4.5 billion. The VHS tapes continued to drive the fitness boom of the 80s. Besides Jane Fonda and Richard Simmons, some of the other notable instructors included Denise Austin, Kathy Smith, and Billy Blanks, who in 1988 released the incredibly popular Thai bow workout videos. But there was one other key piece of technology that also helped in the fitness boom of the 80s. One that differed from cable TV or VHS tapes. One that continues to influence our workouts to this day. Everything 80s will return after these messages. If you work out or like to train in the gym, can you even picture it without listening to your own music? I know there have been times when I've pulled up to the gym, realized I've forgotten my headphones, and actually left because I didn't think I could work out without them. Having our own personalized music, playlists, and even podcasts helps many people get through their workouts. You may even be listening to this episode while at the gym or out on a walk. But personalized entertainment while we exercise wasn't always the case. When the Sony TPS-L2 went on sale in Japan in 1979, it was hard to tell what the impact of this new device would be. It would soon be released in other countries and in 1980 reached North America. You would know the TPS-L2, a silver and blue device better known as the Walkman. In the Walkman is one of those few culture-changing devices. I would say it was more groundbreaking than the iPod because we never had a device that offered true personalization. 
For the first time, you could listen to what you wanted, wherever you wanted, and whenever you wanted while you were on the go. You weren't restricted by only having radio stations as options, but you could take your music collection anywhere you went. Sales of the Walkman started slow until effective marketing campaigns and everyone seeing them in public made the public realize how great a Walkman really was. Walkman, the sportable stereo cassette player from Sony. In just a few short months, over 30,000 quickly sold and hundreds of millions of units sold over the decade. Sony led the charge and then dozens of alternatives reached the shelves, including many cheaper knockoff versions. People quickly realized how the Walkman could become part of daily life. If you grew up during this time, you know what a revelation this was and a revolution of sorts, as now Walkmans were seen everywhere. It was as much a piece of fashion as it was a piece of technology. This device, as a fashion statement, was further solidified with the release of the iconic Sony Yellow Walkman, perfect for active people. Instead of the over-ear headphones of previous editions, the Sony Yellow Walkman had headphones that fit right into your ear. This design made it so they wouldn't fall off if you were running, jumping, or doing any physical activity. And the entire thing was supposedly waterproof. The Walkman had a big impact on the world of fitness in the 1980s, as it coincided perfectly with the growing fitness craze. Workouts didn't have to be boring now, or limited to the music played by the gym. You could create your own workout playlist on a mixtape. The Walkman started to hit its heights in the second half of the 80s, and according to Time Magazine, thanks to the Walkman, the number of people who said they started walking for exercise increased by 30%. So that's the technology, but there was another important factor connected to the 1980s fitness boom, the fashion. The noticeable outfits, often featuring spandex and neon colors, spread from the aerobics classes to the general public. Today, we may call this active wear or athleisure, but it was a distinctive look. And up to this point, it wasn't exactly common to see people wear workout gear out in public. The physical video by Olivia Newton-John featured leotards, bright colors, and headbands that played a big role in establishing that 1980s workout aesthetic. Another big influence on this athletic fitness look may have come from the movie Flashdance. Released in 1983, dancer Alex Owens, played by Jennifer Beals, portrayed a specific look. Beals' iconic leg warmers quickly began to appear in not only fitness classes and gyms, but out in the general public. Beals also inadvertently created a new fitness and fashion look. The story goes that Beals accidentally shrunk a sweatshirt and had to cut a bigger hole to get her head through. This created an off-the-shoulder look that was used in the movie. This dance class look quickly caught on, expanding well beyond fitness, even being copied by Madonna to become one of the defining looks of the 80s. 
When it came to fitness, looking the part seemed to be as important as the fitness itself. Workout apparel was now a statement and a bold one at that. It was just as important to wear these outfits on the way to the gym and out in public so people knew you were part of the fitness scene, even if you didn't plan on working out. The 1980s fitness craze not only drove some of the popular looks of the time, but also gave rise to another form of fashion. As the Jane Fonda workout tapes were selling millions of copies, one person noticed something. Everyone in those early tapes was working out in bare feet. The person who noticed this was a sales rep from the West Coast, and it led to a light bulb moment. Angel Martinez saw the success of the fitness movement, but couldn't help but notice that everyone was doing it without shoes. According to a 2018 Time Magazine article, and from the book Kicks, The Great American Story of Sneakers, Martinez also paid a visit to his wife's new exercise class and noticed the same issue. No shoes. In fact, many were complaining about foot and knee pain. Participants were exercising on hard floors and often concrete, and it looked like they could use a pair of aerobic shoes. Fortunately, Martinez worked for a lesser-known company at the time called Reebok. Exercisers needed shoes that allowed for side-to-side movement. Tennis and running shoes didn't exactly suit the aerobics movement, and an alternative could make for a great new product. But when Martinez took the idea to his boss, it was rejected. His boss had never even heard of aerobics. Eventually, though, a prototype was made and given to fitness instructors to try out. And they loved it. The shoe didn't look like anything else out there, but was tailor-made for the fitness industry. In 1982, the Reebok Freestyle Fitness shoe hit the market. The white high-top shoe with its distinctive wrinkles, three puffy ankle supports, and two Velcro straps at the top quickly became one of the must-have fitness accessories. The shoes completed the fitness look of the 80s. And the success of Reebok and these shoes may also be thanks to Richard Simmons and Jane Fonda. One of the first promotions for the shoe gave buyers two free weeks at a Richard Simmons fitness class. And in some of the next Jane Fonda workout tapes, everyone was wearing Reeboks. The celebrity aspect of the health and fitness boom of the 80s may also be due to one person. Born in Austria, he made a big splash in the US. And when it comes to the world of fitness, training and bodybuilding, you don't even have to say his full name. You just have to say Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger was like a superhero from the pages of a comic book, but he was real. Arnold helped to make bodybuilding, what was once more of an underground niche sport, more mainstream, specifically through his 1977 film, Pumping Iron. Even before he became an era-defining blockbuster star, Schwarzenegger soon became instantly recognizable. His looks, physique, amazing accent, along with his charm and charisma, made him a magnet for media attention. The multiple Mr. Olympia winner was a natural to appear on screen. 
In the 70s, he appeared in a few lesser-known movies like Hercules in New York and Stay Hungry. But in 1982, a much larger audience would become familiar with Schwarzenegger and his amazing physique as he starred in Conan the Librarian. Sorry, Conan the Barbarian. Its success led to Conan the Destroyer, and this led to possibly his most notable role in James Cameron's Terminator from 1984. Schwarzenegger's astonishing size, proportions, and symmetry blew a lot of people's minds who didn't know this type of aesthetic musculature was even possible. When it comes to inspiring and influencing people to work out, Arnold Schwarzenegger may be one of the most significant individuals ever. Though his physique probably wasn't achievable for the average person, he was still a huge inspiration, encouraging everyone to get in shape. Going into the 80s, he released his own books to help people get fit, including Arnold, The Education of a Bodybuilder, and in 1985, he released what many consider to be the Bible of training, the Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. This was followed up by the new Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. Schwarzenegger was the perfect spokesperson for fitness. Despite his superhuman physique, he wasn't a muscle-bound meathead. Along with his natural charisma and engaging persona, Arnold was incredibly well-spoken and informative. He encouraged both men and women to pursue a life in fitness. In his first interview on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Schwarzenegger said how important it was that gyms and health clubs change from catering to men to having the space shared by men and women. He shared how weight training is beneficial to everyone and not to be afraid of it. And when the 80s were about to come to a close and the 90s began, Arnold Schwarzenegger was appointed by President George Bush as chairman of the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. A larger-than-life physique made Schwarzenegger a star, and we began to see more of it on the big screen. Sylvester Stallone's impressive physique made him a natural fit for not only Rocky, but one of the defining action stars of the entire decade, Rambo. Big screen heroes were really looking pretty fit. Stars like Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, Chuck Norris, or Sigourney Weaver in Aliens were all lean and ripped. The action stars of previous decades like Steve McQueen looked more like the average person, but this new era of action star looked like they were designed in a lab. Running parallel to what we were seeing on the big screen was what was happening in our own living rooms. Pro wrestlers like superstar Billy Graham, Jesse the Body Ventura, Tony Atlas, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, Hercules Hernandez, Rocky Johnson, the father of The Rock, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and the Ultimate Warrior also look like comic book heroes come to life. And then one performer took the concept of working out in fitness to the stratosphere. Terry Jean Bollea, better known as Hulk Hogan, was an astonishing sight to behold. Listed in the six foot seven range and over 300 pounds, the character of Hulk Hogan encouraged kids to never forget to train, say their prayers, or eat their vitamins. Vignettes that aired on what was then WWF programming showed Hogan working out. 
giving us an inside look at what went into becoming a professional wrestler. When the first WrestleMania came about in 1985, Hogan teamed up with another real-life action star, Lawrence Tarot, better known as Mr. T. In the build-up to the first WrestleMania, we went along with them as they trained across the country. Thanks to the rise of cable TV, Hulk Hogan and the then World Wrestling Federation, the pursuit of fitness was being shared across the country. And depending on how old you are, you may remember the Hulkamania workout set. Hey, how can I get muscles like you guys? You can start by getting in shape with the Hulkamania workout set. Great! It's got everything you need. Head and wristband. A jump rope for warming up. A hand gripper for power. Dumbbells for strength. An exercise poster. And even Hulk's own workout tape. The Hulkamania workout set. You, from LJN. Are you in shape yet? The amusing thing about this product is that it doesn't even feature Hulk Hogan, but another wrestler who also had one of the best physiques of the 80s, Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. Released in 1985, the Hulk Hogan workout set was clearly geared to younger kids. The set included a jump rope, hand gripper, two three-pound dumbbells, an exercise poster, a Hulkamania headband, red and white wristbands, and a 40-minute workout cassette tape narrated by Hogan himself. Now about this Hulkamania workout set. It's divided into four sections. Warm-up, stretching, workout, and cool-down, you know. It's real important that you read all the instructions and follow along with the pictures on the poster. This will guarantee that you get the most out of your workout. Because of all the different celebrities, books, and VHS tapes, the spread and awareness of fitness led to big bucks. Not only were there best-selling fitness books and workout tapes, but health clubs were opening at a blistering rate. According to the U.S. Census Bureau and the Department of Commerce, in the U.S. alone, fitness clubs rose from around 3,000 locations in the late 70s to nearly 14,000 by the end of the 80s. At the start of the 70s, fitness club memberships were in the range of 1.7 million memberships, and it reached 13 million memberships by 1981 alone. By 1987, it was up to 17.3 million memberships. Gyms and health clubs were everywhere. At the end of the 70s, there were around 13 clubs per million population. By the end of the decade, it was 56 clubs per million. The 80s also saw the opening of some big commercial health clubs. In 1983, the first 24-hour fitness opened, which has gone on to become one of the biggest fitness club operators in the world. They also created the blueprint that many 24-7 clubs follow to this day. About a year later came the first LA Fitness, a chain that now has over 500 locations in North America. Here in Canada, as the 1980s began, a new gym had just opened up, one that would go on to become the biggest fitness chain in the country, Good Life Fitness. And the good news was that more people than ever were exercising. In 1960, only around 24% of people claimed to exercise regularly. By 1987, a Gallup poll indicated 
that almost 70% of Americans said they now exercise regularly. Anything to do with working out, fitness, or aerobics just couldn't seem to miss in the 80s. Even jazzercise continued to go strong. Jazzercise became franchised and, by 1984, had 2,700 instructors, 350,000 students, and revenue in the $40 million range. Converted for today's money, that's nearly $120 million. Fitness in the 80s was much more than a fad. It was a genuine movement, and there was no looking back. So to personally tie this all together, I've worked in the health and fitness industry for over 22 years now. I've been a personal trainer and nutritionist for my day job since the early 2000s, and I've worked in gyms and health clubs in Canada, the US, England, and Australia. I've worked with young athletes, seniors, pro athletes, and everyone in between. And it was the fitness boom of the 80s that laid the blueprint for a lot of what is still followed in the fitness industry today. One of the most notable things is group fitness. What started as aerobics and jazzercise classes continues to this day, but have evolved while still keeping that group setting. The dynamic of group exercise is conducive to community and workout motivation. And it's led to things like CrossFit, F45, Orange Theory, Soul Cycle and Spin classes, high intensity interval training, Zumba, Pilates, boot camp classes, and so many more. As classes, gyms, and health clubs became more prominent in the 80s, more women became involved in fitness and exercise. Many gyms in general stopped being free weight dungeons and became true health clubs, offering a variety of options and services to a wide range of clientele. And the gyms realized they could charge big bucks for membership fees. The Walkman evolved into the MP3 player, the iPod, and the smartphone to become the soundtrack of our exercise. VHS fitness tapes of the 80s turned into DVDs, then went online and into fitness apps. Companies like Peloton have taken modern technology, but combined it with virtual instruction and a group dynamic that you can do in your own home. Celebrity fitness, for better or for worse, has continued out of the 1980s fitness boom. And overall, a lot of the ways we still approach fitness to this day come out of the 80s, but maybe with just a little less spandex. Some spandex, but a little less. And on that bombshell, it's time to end. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, I have plenty more where that came from. And here are some suggestions for further listening related to this episode. I have a previous show all about the first WrestleMania, the history of the VCR, the growth of cable television in the 80s, and an episode devoted to the story of the Walkman. But besides those ones, there are plenty of others to keep you going. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you're in a position to help support the show, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon.com. That's a platform to get access to bonus 80s audio content, including things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast. If you want to learn more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 
S or click on the link in the description. So thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for listening to the show. Whether you've been here from the start or this is the very first one you've listened to, I appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen to my shows. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. Oh, 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 oh